So, Mark. Yes. I'm honestly asking this because I don't think you have an answer. Who is your favorite basketball player? Well, in a shocking turn of events, based entirely on his outside-of-basketball career, I will have to say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What? If! (laughs) As soon as I saw his name show up under episode written by on an episode of Veronica Mars, I was like, hmm. This man is my favorite. He's written a lot. He, like, has written some comic books, and I think he has a novel. He likes mysteries. Yeah, he writes a lot, which I really appreciate. But then when I saw him show up on Veronica Mars specifically, it was just like, this is a combination I didn't know I needed. And then he wasn't in the episode, and I respected it even more. Um, he also, this is recent when I'm recording it, but is very old news when the episode comes out. He personally introduced every question in one category of the Jeopardy Greatest of All Time tournament. He's great. He was also in Airplane, which is a very fun movie. That's right, I forgot he's in that. That was like peak Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trying to become an actor, but it never really happened. But then he went into writing. Like so many wannabe actors, he became a writer instead. He's had a very interesting life, and I really respect it. As for you, monsieur. Um, I like watching basketball but I don't pay enough attention to it to really have favorite players. So I think I'm just going to go with Bill Murray in Space Jam. Who is it? LeBron James who's doing the next one or Kobe Bryant? So LeBron is doing the next one, but it keeps getting delayed because they're having a hard time getting other basketball stars to be in the movie because they don't want to go be in the movie just to lose to LeBron on film. When Frankly, they're losing to him all the time on the court. Yeah. Does he have to beat them? I thought it was... He had to be better, I guess it's he has to be better than all of their combined skills together. I don't really remember how the movie goes, but I thought that they stole all of the skills of the basketball players, and then Michael Jordan beat them anyway. I don't know. Um, So yeah, that's what happens in the original one. I mean, who knows what the plan is for a second. They've been trying to make a Space Jam sequel for a long time. They were gonna make a sequel called Skate Jam, starring Tony Hawk, but that one got canned when Looney Tunes Back in Action didn't perform well. What a shame. What a moment in time. That really sums up an exact, honestly, probably year. I don't think that idea would exist outside of a specific year. Yeah. So, Coogler is producing it. At one point, Justin Lin was attached to direct, which would be fascinating, but he's not doing it anymore. Instead, it's being directed by... Oh, interesting. It's currently being directed by Malcolm D. Lee. Previously, it was going to be directed by Terrence Nance, but he left after they started shooting because he and Warners disagreed on the movie. Oh, apparently production wrapped last fall. So this is actually happening, and it's coming out in July 2021. Oh my god. But like, that's part of why LeBron moved to the Lakers, was in part so he could start doing more film stuff. It's apparently the next step, which makes sense, but I feel like you definitely have to hit a very high level of name recognition before you can break into Hollywood. Yeah, I do think it's easier from the NBA because it's such a personality-driven league as opposed to, say, the NFL where the players don't become stars in the same way. Yeah, there's no maybe, like, I don't know. Also, football players tend to not be as charismatic or as effusive as the NBA players. Right, and it's easier to see a personality influencing gameplay on a basketball court than it is, you know, on a line of scrimmage. Yeah, because the court is just much smaller than the field and it's kind of stagey in a way that yeah isn't necessarily so it makes sense so i mean that after all circling back to my topic like that's how bill murray got into acting he started out as a basketball star oh of course and then he made his way to hollywood yeah exactly i will say basketball is probably the sport i know the most about 
it's so fun to watch. I have no real personal favorite basketball team, but I love watching basketball with other people who are passionate about it because it's so fun. Yeah, I had to play a lot of basketball as a kid, but in a shocking turn of event, I was bad. I thought you mostly memorized Bible verses. It's true. It was in the basement of a church, and we got stars for showing things like teamwork and sportsmanship, which Monica would not have gotten. But I also got a bunch of stars for just rote memorization, which, honestly, thank God that I got recognition for something. (laughs) My mom, when I was home recently, said she was going through stuff and found a bunch of my swimming awards. And my first thought was, all of my eighth place ribbons, you mean? I once won maybe like second place at the county fair. For whatever reason, there was a category at the county fair where you could submit toilets that had been decorated. And my family knew somebody who was redoing their bathroom. And so I got their toilet and I made it look like a whale. And I got second place in $25. That would barely cover the cost of the toilet and the supplies. I didn't pay for the toilet. (laughs) I feel like the prize would have needed to be bigger to justify how much cost you're putting into this thing. It was a very strange category for them to specifically have. It wasn't like a decorate anything category. It was specifically toilets. I don't know why, but that reminds me of the champion table setting competition at Bob's Burgers, which is (laughs) a thing I would love to get into. What would be your theme for your table? I don't know. I was really, I thought his magic one was really well crafted. It would take a lot of thought. You could do a Titanic one called A Knife to Remember. Yeah, something um, TV related, maybe. The golden age of television. So it's like, instead of silverware, it's all gold. Goldware. The plate is a laser disc. You know, that would be easy for us to acquire if I bought a laser disc player. <laughs> It's true, because the Laserdisc obviously represents the golden age of television. Naturally. Yeah, I'm going to work on this. I'll come back to you with the menu. All right, I look forward to it. I'll ask again at the end of the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give me something besides the episode to think about. That'll go well, because I always do so great with coming up answers to the last question. <laughs> anyway, should we start the show? Probably. I guess so. <laughs> Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast. We're like detectives. We're going to find the secrets. You can hire us, and we'll go and take pictures until we've found out whether Hollywood romance actually makes any sense. This one didn't require a lot of digging because half of the title is the thing we're discussing today. But that doesn't answer whether or not it makes sense. It's true. That's the question, not does love exist, Mark? (laughs) Oh, uh, that's what I've been thinking about this whole time. (laughs) Hashtag love is real. It also doesn't answer if these people are dateable or likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are returning once again to the world of high school romance for Gina Prince-Bythewood's directorial and screenwriting debut, Love and Basketball. So we've done sports movies. We've done love movies. Have we done a sports romance before? Um, I mean, Fever Pitch, kinda. I guess, but that's... That's not about players. Yeah, And A League of Their Own, we were really stretching to make a romance. Yeah. Boy, did we struggle. So, no. So this is fun. I guess not. Yeah. There was something in Roger Ebert's review where he was talking about how it's kind of exciting to watch a sports movie whose climax is not the big game. And I do think that's kind of nice, where 
it is very much a sports movie, but it is not a movie that just cares about, like, particular moments happening in sports. It's about the people. Yeah, this movie is very people-focused, and the sports is just a way to express who the characters are. Yeah. There was a 15th anniversary oral history at the Huffington Post, and they talked about trying to cast the Monica character and trying to figure out the balance between somebody who's good at basketball versus somebody who's really good at acting. There was a period where Sana Lathan, who played the character, was in the audition pipeline being taught to play basketball. And there was also a Georgia Tech player who wanted to get into acting who was in the pipeline, like, being taught to act better. So they're literally there choosing, like, do you get the actor who's learning basketball or the basketball player who's learning acting? And they ultimately decided to go with Sana Lathan because the movie was about the characters, not about the basketball. I think that was a good choice because... The basketball is a big part of it, and watching her play basketball is cool, but it's really more about the emotion she's conveying while she's playing basketball. Which is done so well. I mean, I love her physicality on the court. Yeah, she does a really good job being expressive, knowing what's going on in her mind while she's playing basketball. And we see that elsewhere, too. I love the uh, moment when she goes to the spring dance, and her college date, who we will get into, goes off to get them drinks. And she's sitting there, like, in this dress that's not designed for it, but she's sitting like she's on a bench at a basketball game, like, swinging her arms between her legs. The whole stuff with her mom is so fascinating, because it really is tied to this weird idea of that moment, and that physicality truly expresses it so well, of the disconnect between just her mom trying to mold her into the stereotypical feminine woman versus her trying to just be herself, and the discomfort that that causes she does a really good job expressing look i'm gonna say it alfrey woodard's a bad mom in this movie oh 100 percent. she is a just terrible mom she doesn't listen to her daughter at all she doesn't support her in any way and when her daughter expresses you know i am hurt by the fact that you didn't come to my basketball games her mom doesn't say sorry at all or anything she's like it didn't matter Yeah, she's like, this thing that you are doing professionally and have been for a while does not matter. Alfred Woodard never misses a chance to tell her daughter that what she cares about is stupid. Yeah, it's really painful to watch, honestly. Yeah. I do like the part where she's given a chance to explain her choices and explain how she views the life she lives, but it doesn't excuse her having been a bad mom. Yeah, it makes her a person, but she's still a bad mom. (laughs) Yeah. So... Once again, the movie we're watching this week is Love and Basketball, which is written and directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, who was herself a college athlete. When she was at film school at UCLA, she was also running track. And I think that very much informs the movie that's made here. After college, she wrote for A Different World, the Cosby Show spinoff, and then started working on this script through the Sundance Institute's Writers and Directors Workshop. And it's through there that she came into contact with Spike Lee, who produced this movie. Is this her first movie? I did not actually look at her filmography. It is, yeah. First written and first directed. That's cool. It's a good movie. It is. I'm glad Spike Lee produced, like, actually, I feel like he does a pretty good job of supporting young upcomers and getting their movies made. Has she done anything else? She has. She also did Secret Life of Bees and Beyond the Lights. That book was everywhere, and I have no idea what it's about. I don't know what it's about. I assume it's about bees. Yeah, because in one of the pieces I read, maybe it was the Huffington Post one, she talked a little bit about shooting the secret life of bees. And I know there are bees in it, because she was saying that once it gets below 60 degrees, bees don't really come out of their hive, and if they do, they're really angry. Because they had a lot of issues corralling the bees making the movie. And that's the only thing I know about it. 
Oh, she's also directing a comic book movie that comes out yeah, in the, the future. Um, The Old Guard, it's based on a Greg Rucka comic, I think. Yeah, starring Shirley's Theron. At one point, she was attached to make Sony's Silver and Black movie, which was a Silver Sabriel Black Cat movie. But that movie doesn't exist anymore. Sony's trying to make two separate movies. I think she's still attached as a producer to them. It's TBA. Okay. For director and writer, but producer, yes. Yeah, Sony, after the Avengers, was like, cool, so we're going to do our own Spider-Man interconnected universe. And then the Amazing Spider-Man 2 was a bad movie. So they gave Marvel creative control of the Spider-Man character, made Venom and Spider-Verse. And now we're just like in the weird zone where like we've got the Jared Leto Morbius movie coming out this year. Have you seen that trailer? No, I don't care for Jared Leto. Neither do I, but I was fascinated enough by the project to watch the trailer. So Michael Morbius in the comics is a scientist with a rare blood condition who tries to cure himself. And what he accidentally does is give himself vampirism. So he has to drink other people's blood to survive. So he's called Morbius the Living Vampire because he was never dead. And the movie seems like it's doing that. The trailer's really weird. It is scored to Fur Elise, the song that my ice cream truck played when I was growing up. (laughs) The song that everyone plays when they go into a piano store. Right. But what if it was spooky? I feel like if one person developed a condition where they had to drink blood to survive... We could make that happen. A doctor would help them get blood or a friend or something, because you don't have to kill someone to get all of their blood. You can take just a bit of blood. So I'm very confused how this makes him turn into a villain. Well, he's usually not really a villain. I mean, in like he's not trying to like become you know, the Lord of Transylvania, but he does, like, kill homeless people by drinking all their blood. So that's not good. No, that is bad. We are anti-murder. But again... We are anti-murder. Just take a little of their blood. This is what he should do. If anything, you could just knock them out and take some of the blood and leave, and you are less likely to get caught or anything. I forget what happened to him, but he got messed up in his first appearance drinking Spider-Man's blood. In part because this is the period when Spider-Man tried to cure his radioactive spider powers so he could live a normal life. And instead accidentally made himself more spidery by giving himself four more arms so that he had eight limbs. (laughs) Oh my god. That sounds terrifying. Comics were great in the 70s. Isn't that the era that's considered bad? Or am I making that up? It's not the worst era. It's not like the 90s. Okay, you know, the dream of the 90s is still alive in Portland. Which is weird, because a lot of the comics industry is headquartered there. Is it really? Uh, Image Comics is based out of there, and there are a lot of writers and artists who work there. All of this is actually very unsurprising. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so do we have have any more fun facts? (laughs) So the secret life of bees we know nothing about. If you know, tweet at us, hashtag it's my beesness, and tell us anything you know about it. Uh... I feel like you could also include the hashtag BFACTS, which oh, is yes, one of our most B-facts. established hashtags, William. Okay, hashtag BFACTS, hashtag it's my business. <laughs> you gotta tell us about the secret life of bees. What are the secrets? <laughs> what are the secrets? I would love the secret life of bees to turn out to be a mystery sequel to Bee Movie. Do the bees have the president's book of secrets? I'm just thinking about watching National Treasure and replacing it with CGI bees and everything else stays the same. Come here! And I think I would watch that movie. So anyway, 
Anyway, love and basketball. Love and basketball. Two things. One movie. <laughs> One movie. You'd think that it wouldn't work, but it does. <laughs> so, the movie is about these two basketball players, primarily Monica, played by Sana Lathan, and also Quincy, played by Omar Epps. And it shows their relationship from childhood through, I don't know, some point in their 20s, as they fall in love and some wild romance stuff happens. Fall in and out multiple times. Yeah. So, Lothan, she had had several small parts, like she played Blade's mom in a flashback sequence, and she was Taydig's girlfriend in The Best Man. So that was her biggest role before this. Omar Epps had been in a couple of movies. After this, he's in the main cast of House. Yeah, when did he find time to go to med school during the filming of this movie? Well, he was a medical student on ER before this movie. Oh, so he was working towards his degree already. Exactly. Okay. So they actually played romantic interests in a movie in 1999 called The Woods. She's barely in it. The character's dated younger. And then the movie's about Omar Epps' character, and she reappears at the end of the movie. But they met on that and then started dating. Ooh. Which Gina Prince, by the way, did not know. They kept it secret because there's a lot of stuff about, like, people who are dating, like, their chemistry may not pop on screen because they feel awkward. So they kept it a secret until they were both cast. And actually, uh, Sana Lathan did talk in one interview I read about how filming sex scenes is more awkward when it's with someone you're dating because everyone on set is, like, kind of watching you have sex with your boyfriend as opposed to just, like, this is a performance. I can imagine that that would be very uncomfortable. But yeah, so they were secretly dating, having a great time. Did they date all the way through the filming? Like, did they they break up? Okay. No, luckily they did stay together for the whole project. Imagine you break up and the next day is the sex scene. That would be bad. Worst case scenario. Yeah. And the movie, of course, also has a murderer's row of black actors from the late 90s and early 2000s. We've already mentioned Alfre Woodard as Monica's bad mom. Quincy's dad is played by Dennis Haysbert, and whenever you see him, you know you're in good hands. He is not a bad dad. No. He's a bad husband. He's a bad husband, but it was weird to be in a position where I was sympathizing with the adulterer, because I understand his anger, But also, his dad was a good dad, so I felt like completely cutting him out of his life as his son may have been an overreaction. I think the biggest thing that Quincy is mad about in that moment is when his dad tells him, yo, there's this paternity suit, Quincy says, well, is it true? And his dad point blank lies to him. And I think that's what really makes him angry. Yeah, that is fair. But his dad was so nice throughout his whole life and also... Only had his best interest at heart. Quincy's best interest. Quincy's best interest at heart. So it was really interesting to see a situation with a good dad who makes a mistake instead of just having him be a bad dad. I feel like you don't get as much of that. But then I don't know if I recognized his mom. So his mom was played by Debbie Morgan, who is not in anything else that I've seen. But the best and most surprising appearance of them all. Oh, there! I mean, there are a bunch. The supporting cast is packed with people. Yes, but the one that really got me is in the last, like, 15 minutes, you meet Quincy's fiancé for a solid three minutes, and then she's just gone. She's given something to do. She's given something to do, but his fiancé is Tyra Banks. Yeah. All of a sudden, there is just Tyra on screen. See, I was, frankly, I'll admit, much more excited when I realized that Monica's sister was played by Regina Hall. Yeah, that is exciting. She's great. She's great! I did not realize that until this moment. Yeah, I was in that zone where I was like, I'm like 90% sure that's Regina Hall. 
And Gabrielle Union played Shawnee, the hot girl who's trying to get with Quincy in high school. Oh, scandal. Yeah. Another fun fact, the actress who plays young Monica went on to voice Penny Proud from the Disney Channel series, The Proud Family. I've only seen that show once, but good for her, I guess. And now she's on um, Black Ink Crew, Compton, which is a show about black tattoo artists, I think. That's cool, I guess. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This movie first came onto my radar because a lot of my, like, students who are black athletes are really into it. And I kind of see how that works. It's a movie that is, like we've been saying, about all of those identities without being too heavily on any one of them. It primarily focuses on these people being people. Yeah, it's a really great character movie. And yeah. I understand, yeah, that's definitely a good, it's a good balance of all of these things. Like, it has the sports, and it has the love, and it also has... I mean, there's also, like, the yeah. aspects of blackness in it when you think about right. the narrative of Monica's hair over the course of the movie in different sequences and the role that that clearly plays. Right. And one of the first things that Quincy's mom says is, like, when we moved in, this neighborhood wasn't so mixed or something. Yeah. Which is very weird. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Or what is it? I wrote it down. She said, it was a little more mixed back then, which I think she's saying all the white families have left. I think so. The black family down the street became the black family next door. Yeah. It was just a weird moment. I didn't really get it. So this movie was a solid hit. It's released on April 21st, 2000. It opened at number two with 8.1 million, went on to gross 27 million, which is a good chunk of change. Yeah. Especially 20 years ago. I did not hear about this movie at all, but I was also six. Yeah, you were a child. (laughs) Toy Story 2 was still in theaters. That's where you were. I don't know if I was seeing a lot of movies back then. It did have some success at the Indie Spirit Awards. Gina Prince-Bythewood won for first screenplay, and Sana Lothan was nominated for Best Female Lead. She also won a BET Award for Best Actress and an NAACP Image Award. Alfre Woodard also got an NAACP Image Award for this movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you have any more facts or should we get into the love and also the basketball? You know, I think we should tackle both of those things now. I think the time has come. So every week on the show, if this is your first episode, we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into... And the basketball (laughs) plotline. And the basketball plotline, if there is one, we'll find out, into five parts, which in this movie that was clearly divided into four... It was pretty easy to cut into five, though. It was pretty easy, but it was still... It's always fun when movies are so conveniently packaged and we have to just be like, all right, well, snip, snip, snip. Well, what's funny is when it showed up first quarter, I was like, okay, this will work great because we'll do one, two, three, four overtime. But there wasn't overtime. Unless you count the epilogue. The epilogue? When she's in the WNBA and Quincy and her kid are watching. Yeah, I assume that was part of the fourth quarter. I mean, it is, but it's enough of a jump that... It feels like an epilogue. That actually was not part of the original screenplay, because when Gina Prince-Bythewood started writing this movie, the WNBA didn't exist. What? what? <laughs> the WNBA wasn't founded until 1996, which is really important to this movie, because that's why all the women, if they want to play after college, have to go to Europe and play there. I had no idea. That's insane. Yeah, it's wild. So, we break it down into five points. This week, point number one is the first quarter, which is the opening of the movie. You want to be my girl? What do I have to do? I guess we can play ball and ride to school together. When you get mad at me, I got to give you flowers. But I don't like flowers. 
Oh. How about Twinkies? My mom won't ever buy them. So it's 1981, and we got some little kids. Young Monica's moving in. She comes up the hill because she sees the boys playing on a basketball court. And she asks if she's allowed to play basketball. And the guys look kind of skeptical. And they go, are you nice? And she says, yeah. And they say, okay. I love that, that is how moment. kids work. <laughs> but it really is how kids work. No, it's great. It's so funny. It's just like, are you nice? Yes. All right, we're best friends. And then immediately start fighting. Well, they're immediately at odds for starters because she is wearing a Lakers hat and he's wearing a Clippers jersey. So even in the world of L.A. basketball fans, they're pitted against one another. But then also she takes off the Lakers hat and that's when they realize she's not a boy. She's a girl and girls can't play basketball. But in a shocking turn of events that no one could see coming, girls can play basketball. What? (laughs) That's how you know know the movie is fiction. I'm thinking of pivoting to a new character in 2020. <laughs> oh, please don't. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I don't know if that'll fly <laughs> if you go overboard on this character. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I'll keep looking for new characters. Maybe I could pick somebody out of the new Peter Rabbit movie that opens soon. That movie looks so bad. And Domino Gleason looks so good. Yeah, he's a hottie. It's very and frustrating. Here's the thing. What if you had Peter Rabbit? but with more rabbits, and he's a celebrity. Because he's a celebrity in this movie because the Peter Rabbit books have come out. Yeah. Is her name Beatrice Potter in the movie? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember. Uh, She's not given a lot to do in that film. I just always think about that poster where it's just the James Corden Peter Rabbit sitting there, and it just says, Rascal, Rebel, Rabbit. I just can't stop thinking about the time when he commits murder. Attempted murder. While giggling. While giggling. And it led to a complaint from the National Allergy Society. That was the kind of thing where the complaint went out and I was like, people need to chill out. And then I saw the movie and I was like, no, this is valid. Yeah, he attempts to murder someone through allergies in a kid's movie. Anyway, 2020, big year for rabbits. Get hype. (laughs) I don't know if it'll rival 2018, though. Well, 2018, we had Peter Rabbit. The favorite. Solid rabbits. But 2019, we had the Us Rabbits and Jojo Rabbit. Rabbits are just having a moment. Uh, rabbits are, are living large. All right. So they're kids. They play basketball. And she's about to win when he pushes her over. And she cuts her face open. This is not a thing that happens later in the movie. But, like, as a kid, he's kind of prone to violence. Yeah, I was glad that that did not actually play through. Yeah. Because his way of dealing with her is to just push her over a lot. And she actually has a scar for the rest Again, of the Again, as a child. As a child. I will say, so he pushes her over, she falls, we see that she's clearly wounded. The next shot is of a sink, where somebody's like washing to get a bandage, but the inside of the sink is red, and for a second I thought the sink was full of blood, and I was I did horrified. Too. I thought it was so much blood. I was like, what? What she happened? scraped her face. I know. Ugh. That was scary. But then... That's maybe my biggest critique of the movie. Different sink. Just not a ton of blood, but she gets a scar for the rest of her life from getting pushed over. Yeah. The next day, he's going to ride bikes to school with her and pretty much immediately is like, you want to be my girl? And she says, I guess. And then in my favorite moment, when she says yes, he says, I think we ought to kiss now. And her response is- They run through what dating entails, which is playing basketball- riding to school together, and when she's mad, he gives her flowers, which she negotiates to Twinkies in a baller move. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. 
Then they decide to kiss for five seconds, and he, like, holds his hand up to the camera and counts it off five fingers. You know it's real love when the response to, I think we ought to kiss, is, for how long? Ah, <laughs> uh, childhood romance. I mean, and that's that... the ultimate consent, really. You're very clearly <laughs> laying out what the kiss will entail. That is true. And then immediately after the kiss, he says she has to ride on his bike, and she says, I want to ride my bike. You can't tell me what to do. And he breaks up with her and pushes her over again. Yep. By my count, they ended up on the grass together four different times in the movie. One of which was under a very different Oh, wait. Five. It's five times. I didn't count the last one. Oh, we also didn't mention in quarter one that Quincy goes to sleep listening to his parents bang. Yeah. Oh. I was very confused about that. And then it does come back, but it still felt very weird. So look, the payoff is very good. Yeah. But him going to sleep listening to, like, clearly listening to his parents bang is weird. Yeah, that house needed some thicker walls. They're rich enough. They can get thicker walls. So, that brings us now to point two. The second quarter! You jump in some guy's face, you you talk smack, and you get a, a pat on your ass. But because I'm a female, I get told to calm down and act like a lady. I'm a ball player, Okay. They are now in high school, and they both play basketball, and she has attitude problems, and he's getting recruited. But she argues that she doesn't have attitude problems, she is an aggressive player, and male athletes would be rewarded for that, and I think that's kind of a fair argument. I think so too, because she gets a technical foul for going kind of like, what? It's Getting someone. in somebody's face. Yeah, and I do agree that that definitely wouldn't have been called if it wasn't for the expectation that women act ladylike. Right, and I like the way that this movie gets into the way that women's sports are not given the same level of respect as men's sports. There's a moment when she's playing in college where we cut from a men's basketball game to a women's basketball game, and we see that it's in a much smaller arena. There are many fewer people there. The fact that when he's playing for the Lakers towards the end of the movie, she's playing for a team in Spain where... She needs one of her teammates to translate anything that's said. And her telephone bill is astronomical. Because she's always calling people back in the States. Yeah. So anyway, it's quarter two. They're both playing basketball in high school. We see Quincy is like very much a ladies man, but also like telling girls not to come in the house because his mom will see him and she won't like that. She's always giving her advice about like, women just want to get with you because you're going to have money. Yeah. This movie is not sex positive. Um, it's not casual sex positive i think it does their like relationship including the sex in their relationship very well that's true it's just when he's driving her home she immediately starts calling all of the girls that are flirting with him like hoes and then his mom is like all women who are trying to hook up with you just want to get pregnant to trap you into a relationship which it's also like kind of implied is sort of what happened with his parents yeah i didn't know if that's actually what happened or if it just did happen on accident i think that is what happened yeah but then again you're right like within their relationship the sex is actually treated very well yeah and we also build up to it with some other cool moments of intimacy it's in this period in the second quarter that we see quincy going to bed and his parents aren't banging anymore now they're fighting and he climbs out his window and goes down to monica's window next door and knocks climbs in, goes to sleep on the floor. And it's so clear from that wordless interaction that he's done this a bunch of times. And that's this great moment because up until then, we've seen them engage pretty much exclusively in some kind of hostile ways. Yeah, they've just bickered the whole time. They don't seem to be friends as much right now because he's hesitant to even drive her home. But that moment of 
support is so powerfully done. And the fact that it's done wordlessly is so much better. Right. It really shows that this relationship has so much depth to it. Even if at school, they're really just kind of all they do is fight. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention in the second quarter, two things. The recruiter or coach from the, I don't think it's USA, I think it's UCLA, has the greatest perm I've ever seen. (laughs) And when they're at the basketball game, one of the women who's flirting with Quincy looks at his butt and just says, I just want to lick the sweat off of it. Which is a lot for a high school basketball game. That's Gabrielle Union. That one's Gabrielle. Oh my god. It is. Oh my god. That moment really got me. Later on, she would be delivered from Eva. (laughs) I forgot about that movie. (laughs) That movie is so weird. (laughs) I also want to shout out, while we're talking about basketball games, I really like the way the basketball's shot in this. There's some cool stuff where it's almost like POV shots of playing basketball. It looks like a war movie. And I like that as a way of showing the intensity and, like, the tunnel vision of an athlete in the middle of a game. Yeah, it is a movie that loves the sport, for sure. Which is fun. I mean, there are movies where it's like, this could be any sport, and the story would be the same. Right, but this movie is about love and basketball. Two things! (laughs) Two things. This would not fly in High School Musical, (laughs) a movie I thought about a lot while watching this. High School Musical, you get one thing. Yeah, but this relationship would actually fly because it's two people that play basketball. That's true. And you are only allowed to have one sport and those are your friends. But so I did actually think about High School Musical because I thought Dennis Haysbert reminded me of Coach Bolton as like the basketball dad who thinks you should only ever think about basketball. But he's the better but also version. Like, but he's also like trying to give you life lessons when Dennis Haysbert is like, you should never say the word can't. And Coach Bolton is like, I don't know, live your life. That's not really what he says. No, but I would bet Coach Bolton would say go to whichever school is the best basketball program. But Quincy's dad wants him to go to Princeton because it's Princeton and a good school. Because you can tell that he regrets not finishing his college degree. Right. And there's a line at one point where his wife says that he keeps talking about going back to school but hasn't done it. Right. But at the end of the second quarter. Well, the big centerpiece of the second quarter is the the dance. dance. And Quincy gets asked to the dance by Gabrielle Union. Shawnee. And Monica doesn't have anybody, but her college-age sister, Regina Hall, is like, I'll get one of my friends to take you. So this is going to be a college dude going on a blind date to a high school dance. Yeah, that's wild. No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. And when Monica asks her sister, you know, how did you convince him to go? She says, I told him you look like me. So clearly this guy is just interested in the sister. Yeah. It's so weird. It's bizarre. That said, he's very handsome and cool and nice. Yes, that is true. He is very nice. We don't see how it ends, but it sounds like he could have been a bit more respectful of her wishes at the end, maybe. But it's implied that he gets a little fresh. Yes. I just love when they're at the dance and he's talking and he's like, high school was cool. And I'm just like, dude, what are you doing there? (laughs) Yeah. She's like, why are you here? So they walk in and Quincy's off dancing with Gabrielle Union and sees them and like immediately makes a beeline over. It's clearly pretty awkward because Quincy and Monica are like clearly kind of into each other, but they're with other people. Yeah. And they're both clearly jealous that the person ended up with someone else, even though neither of them even approached the idea of going together. And they had a moment when they were in the car together. Yeah. But after the dance, she finds a letter. Neither of them goes off and has sex. Yes. 
we find that out because she finds a letter from USC and goes over to his place and knocks on the window and they meet outside and he's just like... Before we move on, I would like yes. to note that through his window, you can see his art, like a big letter Q on the wall, fine. But there is also a large framed picture of a basketball. Again, just like High School Musical with the giant banner that just says basketball on it. It's great. Not Wildcats basketball, East High basketball, just basketball. Yeah. So she asked him about the date. She's like, oh, so how did it end? Like, you know, getting a little in his face about it. Or no, I think he acts jealous first. So she reciprocates as like, oh, I'm sure that Gabrielle Union treated you right. Or yeah. Whatever. And it's clear that neither of them made out. And she's there because she wants him to open the USC letter. And he's like, you got recruited. You're going to play basketball. And then he goes in for a hug and she kisses him, which is great. Yes. And then they kiss, and then they lay down on the grass and do some more kissing. And I'm just like, her white dress is going to get covered in grass stains. Yes, I'm sure it did. But then they kind of move a little toward more than kissing, and they go inside, and... She specifically invites him in. Yes, she's like, come on in, we're doing it. And they do it, and he's very respectful. Yeah, I think it's a really well done sex scene. And it's a sex scene that very much plays as like, this is her first time having sex. Right. This is her first time. He's respectful of that. And it's not judgmental. They're clearly in love. I was surprised to see a non-comedy use of a condom in a movie. That's pretty rare. Yeah, that was pretty cool. There's a moment to show, like, they're being safe. Yeah. I do love, like, sex scenes in movies are all... I think this one's really well done. But they're also always really weird. Where it's, like, loud music. No words. Slowly undressing. Yeah. Staring at each other's shoulders. <laughs> That or the opposite where it's like loud music, but ripping clothes off very talkative, extremely fast. Like those are the only two ways to have sex in a movie. Yeah. You don't get a lot of just like, hey, sex? We got nothing (laughs) else to do. Sure. So I think right after they have sex. We cut to quarter three. We go to the third quarter and, oh, we didn't mention he decided to go to USC also. Right. So they are at the same college. Yay! Yay! And they live next door, so they continue to date in college. Yay! So how about a little one-on-one? And what are we playing for? <laughs> Clothes. <laughs> what? I score, you strip. You score, I drop some. So now they're dating in college, they're having a nice time, going through that college life. There are a lot of college girls who are like, hey, Quincy, you're hot and good at basketball. And he's like, I know both of those things are true. And Monica's like, you have to stop flirting with other women. Yeah, which is which a is... valid claim. Yeah, valid. But they still have a nice time together. At one point, they play strip basketball. And it's pretty great. Yeah, that was pretty, like, that's a pretty hot idea. And this is also where we get a fantastic title drop when she's trying to steal the ball from him. And she grabs his junk, takes the ball, and goes and dunks it and says, all's fair in love and basketball. But again, that's not true of basketball. <laughs> that is true. Uh, sure. I mean, there are lo- like rules to warfare as well. Yes. Like, <laughs> another issue I have with this statement. Were there international laws of war when Shakespeare was alive? That, no. Is that a Shakespeare quote? I think so. All is fair in love and war. Origin. Uh, it's attributed to John Lilly's Euf- Euphues. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> E-U- Euphues. <laughs> no, it's just one. E-U-P-H-U-E-S. E-U-P-H-U-E-S. Euphues. Euphues. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Um, you know, for a long time, I've been wondering what we should call our listeners colloquially. <laughs> Because, like, we love the love. What are we going to call them? Lovers? I think they should be Euphuies. It comes from the Greek for graceful or witty. Yeah, just like that name. Oh, it's also where the term Euphuism comes from. Like, euphemism? Maybe not. I don't think so. I think it's different. It looks similar. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. If you know what Euphuism is, tweet at us, hashtag get Euphie, and tell us what a Euphuism is. Anyway, they're dating, and then... One of the big things that's going on is, like, school is going on. Monica's struggling on the team because she's a backup, and she feels like the coach is always riding her pretty hard. Quincy, meanwhile, is talking about going for the draft after his freshman year. His dad is not a fan of this because his dad really wants him to get his degree. As he says, the NBA isn't going anywhere, which is true. That is true. But this comes to a head when Quincy has the big game, which comes in the middle of this movie instead of the end. There are many there are many games, but this is the big game. Yes. I think this takes us to point number four. Yes. Still in the third quarter. That night you wanted to talk about your dad. I had curfew. What was I supposed to do? Stay. If I stayed, I wouldn't be stark. Well, at least you got your priorities straight. I've never asked you to choose. You'd never have to. I'm a ball player. If anybody knows what that means, it should be you. If basketball is all you care about, why are you boning me? Why don't you bone Dick Vitale? This is where, you know, sometimes in movies, you see a relationship, and it's going well, but then things go wrong. No! So this is the part where things go wrong. So first off, Quincy loses a big game to Temple and starts flirting with other girls to make himself feel better. That's bad. Yes. And then he denies to Monica that he was doing it, which is worse. Yeah, because it's very apparent. Yeah. And then we find out that his dad cheated on his mom and is being sued for paternity. Which, yikes. Because then, of course, his dad lies to him about it, but his mom had taken out a private investigator and has pictures. Yeah. So then Quincy decides to spiral by going all University of Kentucky and declaring for the draft after his freshman year. Yes. He also, at this point, is openly basically dating other women in what he claims is an attempt to get Monica to pay more attention to him. Which is horrible. Yeah, just use your words, bud. Yeah, this is dreadful. He's mad because the day that he found out his dad was lying to him, he was talking to Monica, and Monica's like, I have to go. We have a curfew on the nights before games. And he's mad that she didn't stay with him. The weird thing is, she asked him back to her room because of the curfew, and I was confused as to why he didn't just... Right, that's the solution. Go back to her room and talk there. But instead, he gets mad at her and starts flirting with other girls, like this girl Carrie. And Monica gets mad. Alfre Woodard is a bad mom. Yeah. And her thing is like, yeah, you want more attention. Like, you're the person who should get that I'm prioritizing basketball. And he's like, you need love and basketball. And she's having a hard time balancing both. Because she also, at this time, she gets made into a starter. And right. her career is taken off. Which because is exciting. She- She's good at basketball, and he is jealous because his career took a tumble when he right, lost, lost the, the game. game. And his personal life is kind of a mess. And he breaks up with her. Got a bit of a stars born vibes yeah. in that moment. Except they both start out really good and do really well in high school. Yeah, but she was struggling. But it turns out it was because she was good. Yeah, her coach was pushing her to be better. Right, but was also very mean to her yes i stand by the coach's response to when she does the like really showy yes shot because 
that is just showing off for nobody and is exactly the kind of thing her coach should be discouraging. That is a good moment. This is why one thing I had with sports is I don't respond well to negative reinforcement. (laughs) I was watching this and I was just like, can't you just be nice? Can't everyone just be nice? Mark would prefer it if when he did something bad, you gave him a cookie and said, don't do that again. That's not how negative or positive reinforcement works, Will. Right. I'm just saying that's what you want. That is what I would enjoy. But I'm just saying, like, you don't have to just be blatantly mean all the time. So this takes us to point number five, which is the fourth quarter. Yes. I'll play you. What? One game, (laughs) one-on-one. For what? Your heart. So we've jumped ahead in time again. Yes. So this brings us to, I guess, not yet present day. Close. Close. It takes us to 1993. I guess, oh, we don't know when the last scene takes place. No. Maybe 2000? Yeah. When the movie came out? But this takes us to 1993. Quincy, of course, after his freshman year, declared for the NBA draft. We learned that he has been shuttled around to a bunch of different teams. He hasn't really settled anywhere. When we come to 1993, he's playing for the Lakers. Monica finished school and is now playing for a basketball team in Spain because, like we said earlier, there's no professional women's ball in the States at the time. And I really like, we find this out when one of the things we see is her in a locker room and her coach giving, like, a very stereotypical movie coach speech, but in Spanish, where he's like, Este año es el próximo año! And they all chant, La lucha! Yeah, and then she just sits there silently and then has to ask her teammate at the end what was said in the speech. And the teammate just says, throw the ball to you. I also noticed a lot of Eastern Europeans on the team based on the names on their jerseys. Yeah, I think that also makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of basketball played there. Yeah. One of my favorite moments is when the other team shows up, she sees that the person she replaced on the college team plays for the team they're playing against in the championship. And then after the game... It cuts to dinner where her friend slash enemy, her frenemy says, can you put that thing away? And she just goes, oh, my championship trophy? You mean you don't want it on the table during dinner where you can look at it? But it is the kind of thing where they had a pretty respectful but fairly hostile relationship in college. But Monica in particular is so excited to see somebody from her life in the U.S. that she's like, yes, please, let's talk, let's hang out, let's spend time together. Yeah, and they seem to be getting along really well, too, on both of their parts. Yeah. I do want to talk about Quincy at the Lakers has a goatee. And this goatee makes him look 40. Yeah. How old was he when he made this? He was 27, which is pretty old to be playing a high schooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you something crazy. Okay. Sana Lothan yes. was 29. Oh my God. She's two years older than he is. Oh my God. She does not look it. No. Well, for starters, the goatee is not doing him any favors. He doesn't look bad with it, but he looks old with it. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea. I knew she wasn't, like, high school aged, but I figured she would be at least early 20s. Yeah. So, Quincy gets injured, he tears his ACL, and Monica returns to the States, her season's over, to come visit him. And we find out that they have not spoken since he left college. That he did call her when she made First All-American and when Magic Johnson retired, but she didn't answer his calls. Yeah. And they're, like, starting to have a nice time together. They're talking. She's like, yeah, I might be coming back to the U.S. But then Tyra Banks shows up. Tyra. And Quincy's like, oh, yeah, this is Monica. And Tyra Banks is like, oh, yeah, you guys grew up together. And you can see just how devastating that is for Monica. Yeah, he has not explained the full extent of their relationship, clearly. She is not his lost love. Yeah. He's a kid he grew up with. And then we find out that Tyra and 
Quincy are engaged. Tyra, yeah. whose character's name, I have no idea what it is. I mean, do you want me to look it up? Nah. She's Tyra. The character's name is uh, K-Y-R-A, so it could be Kira, or Tyra could be playing Kyra. Yeah, she is very classic other woman who does nothing wrong does and just gets wrong. the short end of the stick completely. A horribly short end of the stick. It's like days before her wedding, and, well, we'll get to it. So Monica... Like, decides she wants to be back with people she knows. She gets a job at the bank where her dad works. Her bank look is cute, but also a bummer, because you're like, she should be playing basketball. Meanwhile, Alfrey Woodard decides that this is the moment to be supportive in the worst possible way. Where, after years of being really obnoxious about everything Monica cares about, she's like, Quincy's engaged, but he's not married. You should go and get him to be with you. When I said he deserves someone better, I meant you. This is horrible. God, she's a bad mom. She's such a bad mom. So Monica goes, knocks on his window. It's two weeks before the wedding. And she's like, yeah, I quit basketball because it's not fun without you. And I've loved you since I was 11. So we have to play basketball for your heart. And if you win, you marry Tyra Banks. And if I win, you have to be with me. That was absolutely insane. I screamed. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, that was wild. I screamed. And... Like, you think about it for him, it's the middle of the night, he has a bad ankle, and she just won a basketball championship. Yeah, but she says, like, oh, when we were kids, you said, I only won because you let me win, so that means you can beat me if you really want to. It means if I win, it's because you want me to win, because you want to be with me. Right. And so, then they play. This is, like, very aggressive, and also completely inappropriate. Yeah. So they play, and he wins, and then he looks at her and says really dramatically. And, like, specifically, like, he charges her, which she's she's always been bad at taking a charge. And then he dunks, and then he turns around and goes, all's fair in love and basketball. Then challenges her to double or nothing? Yeah, he says, double or nothing, and then they make out. Without playing the second game. Yeah, so, poor Tyra. Or Kyra. And then we cut to the future, where she's playing in the WNBA, and Quincy and their baby are watching them. So cute. And if you watch the credits long enough, you see the baby dunk on a little baby basketball hoop. And all's happy in love and basketball. Aww. The end. So. Yes. Returning to our central mission. Okay. Do you find the romance of love and basketball believable? I was like on board until the moment (laughs) at the end. end! Where she's like, if I beat you in basketball, you have to love me. An insane move. Absolutely insane. Now, do you find the basketball of love and basketball believable? I guess. Yeah, I'm it's pretty good. Not well-versed enough to know. So, every week we rate the believability of a movie's romance on a 10-point scale, where 0 means we believe none of it, and 10 means we believe all of it. So where would you put the romance of love and basketball? Okay, up until, like, the last scene, I'd probably give it something pretty solid, like an 8 or a 9. Yes, Maybe. but then they play basketball for his heart. Yeah, so that drops down to, like, a seven. I'm going six. That thing blew my mind. (laughs) Okay. Do you find Monica or Quincy dateable? I don't think Monica finds me dateable, because I don't play basketball. Yeah, I don't know if it would work for any of us. Yeah. But I feel like they are, but they both need to work on their communication. Yeah, like, Quincy, the whole dating other people to get attention is bad. Yeah, but he is... In his good moments, he's really good. He just needs help in his down moments. Yes. And again, I don't think Monica will date somebody who doesn't play basketball. Yeah. Do you think they'll stay together? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, the movie gives us all the evidence to say yes and none to say no. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? I have no idea. I guess her sister. Yeah, I was going to say, Regina Hall seems pretty great. She seems like a really nice, supportive sister. And she's got some cool, hot friends. Yeah. I could hang out with. (laughs) So, a lot of the movies we cover end up on Broadway. Do you think this should be a musical? I think it could work. I think the whole stage would have to be a basketball court the whole time. Yeah. But you think about, like, actually a movie comes out around the same time, Bring It On got made into a reasonably successful musical. I think you could do something similar with this. Yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a basketball musical. I don't know. There have been musicals, of, or at least plays, of a lot of sports. But I have not seen a basketball one. Anyway, more importantly, Mark, you're going to be entering into these uh, table-setting competitions. You told us already about your golden age of television goldenware and the laser disc platter what will be the food in this table setting oh god um as much as it disappointed game of thrones really is the poster child of golden age of tv so you're gonna have some coffee cups (laughs) that took me way too long to get i think a starbucks cup is actually a great idea. But I was going to say, you know, some like boiled rat or whatever they get out of the pots in Flea Bottom. Or maybe just like the little frog that Baby Yoda gulps down. Yeah, that would be a good one too. In a cup. So you yes. slurp it down. Um, What other shows are like peak TV pinnacle? Get some Mad Men alcohol. Yeah. Uh, some meth from Breaking Bad. Or whatever that chicken restaurant is. Okay, no, no, no. You get. Oh, well, yeah. You could have uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. I was gonna say you could have like crystal glasses, but they're kind of blue tinted, like the blue meth in Breaking Bad. And they're actually laced with meth, so you can't avoid it. They're like salted rims. <laughs> um, that's a terrible idea. I don't know. I feel like this bit may have run its course. All right then. Uh, that probably is about the end of this. Our discussion of this movie too. Yeah, next week we are, (laughs) in the words of William Redmond, next week we're headed underground to meet a very intense baker in Norman Jewison's Moonstruck. Yes! (laughs) Look, he's got his arm, he's got his girl, I got no arm, I got no girl. I've had a very contentious relationship with my friend ever since I found out that she did not like Moonstruck, because I think it's a perfect movie. It's so good! But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews in particular help other people to find the show. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Love and Basketball? So a key part of being in a relationship we learned very early on in the movie is giving somebody Twinkies when they're upset. And I'm just going to expand that generally to pastries. I think if you give somebody pastries when they're upset, they will be happy to date you as long as you don't try to make them ride on your bike. I would say just play basketball. Seemed to work for them. And it worked for you too. Yeah, that's how me and Nick met, didn't you know? On the court. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way we dribble up and down the court. You can always tell when Mark goes according. All right, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And and I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Bye.
favorite sport. Uh-huh. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. I keep it so fresh on the microphone. I like no interruption when the game is on. on. I like slam dunk to take me to the hoop. Yeah. My favorite play is the alley-oop. Uh-huh. I like to pick and roll. Uh-huh. I like to give and go. Uh-huh. 